Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. I've been going through the book of Hebrews for a few years now. Um, of course, that's been interrupted a few times, and so I can't remember the last time that um, we looked at Hebrews, but anyway, I was, I was looking through my notes and uh, we're up to verse 11. Uh, so, since it's been a little while, I'd like to read uh, all of chapter 5. We're up to verse 11 of chapter 5, but to get a bit of context, uh, I'd like to read from verse 1. So Hebrews, Hebrews 5 from verse 1 says, For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way, for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. And by reason hereof he ought, as for the people, so also for himself to offer for sins. And no man taketh dishonour unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made a high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, Today have I begotten thee. As he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard in that he feared, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him, called of God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again which be the first principles of the oracles of God and are become such as have need of milk, and not of strong meat. For every one that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So we'll, uh, we'll pray and ask the Lord to guide us as we study his word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our time together today. Thank you for, for the, the lovely rain that you've provided this week um, and the cooler weather in these last few days. Lord, we are just so grateful for the, all the good things that you give us. Father, we, we just thank you for this opportunity now to come here and to read your word. Uh, to study your word just for a little while. Uh, Lord, we thank you that we can uh, have your word in our own language. Thank you that we can, um, we can read it freely. Uh, Lord, we have no fear of persecution here. Uh, thank you that we can gather together like this and sing praises to you. Lord, it's, it's such a blessing. And Lord, we pray that you would um, uh, bless our time together this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. 
That rain's really coming down now. So we'll get started. Uh, this verse that uh, we're looking at today, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. Of course, it's right, it's right towards the end of the uh, chapter there. And uh, if you remember the last time we looked at Hebrews, uh, we were looking at the doctrine of uh, Melchizedek and, and his relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So this verse here, chapter 5, verse 11, is referring back to the previous verse in Hebrews, which of course mentions Melchizedek. And of course the Lord Jesus belongs to the order of Melchizedek in his priesthood. And uh, we, we did have a brief look at this character, this uh, very interesting and unusual character of Melchizedek in the Old Testament last time. And uh, we find a lot of information in Genesis chapter 14. I'm not going to go over it in, in a lot of detail uh, again, but just very briefly. The name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Uh, he was the king of Salem, a Canaanite city, probably the same as Jerusalem, same city. Now this king, this, uh, this king Melchizedek, came out to meet Abraham, uh, who was called Abram then, after the slaughter of Shedaleoma. You remember there was a, a, a battle, uh, you know, these, these kings got together and there was a, a big battle and Abraham came to the rescue. And after this, after this battle, uh, Melchizedek comes out to meet Abram and the first thing we read is that he brings him bread and wine. Now, of course, that's straight away, that's a, an unusual thing that this king would do that. And, uh, of course, we, we remember the, you know, the Last Supper, bread and wine there as well. So we see the connection with the Lord Jesus Christ. And even, even before that, just from his name, uh, King of Righteousness, and from the city which he ruled, uh, you know, the, the word Salem there means, uh, means peace. He was the king of peace, if you like. Um, and his introduction, we already see that this is an unusual uh, character in the Old Testament. It's not just like any old Canaanite pagan king. has something very special. So he blesses Abram with a spe special blessing, invoking the name of God, and then Abram gives him a a tithe of the spoils of war. So it gives him a tenth of the spoils. Which again, is, it seems strange that Abram would do that. Uh, he, you know, he certainly didn't do that for anyone else, but he, he gives Melchizedek this, this tithe. Of course, all these things point to Christ, and the simplest explanation is that Melchizedek is a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. So Hebrews 5.11 begins with the statement that there is much to be said about Melchizedek, his priesthood and the connection with the Lord Jesus Christ. And the author spends much time in chapter 7 uh, expounding the doctrine of Melchizedekian uh, high priesthood of Christ. And then three more chapters on how that priesthood is superior to the Aaronic priesthood. So he, he does have a lot to say. But here in chapter 5, it seems like he's, he's holding himself back from teaching them more about Melchizedek and his relationship with Christ. And he gives a, a couple of reasons. The, the first is that the doctrine is hard to be uttered. 
hard to be uttered. And so that's our second point. The word translated hard is the Greek word dus ermenutos, literally difficult to interpret. And you might recognise this word uh, because it's, it's from where we get the, the, the term hermeneutics, which is the study of biblical interpretation. The doctrine about Jesus Christ and Melchizedek is difficult to interpret and takes work to properly understand it. Now just by mentioning this word hermeneutics, it can put people off. And uh, I know some people just, just hear that word and just, you know, sh- shut off completely. They don't want to know about it or they think it's, it's kind of too hard, too technical, uh, too academic. It, it doesn't relate to us as Christians. But it's extremely important for us as believers if we are to correctly understand the Bible. In this church, we follow the historico-grammatical method of interpretation, which means that when we read the Bible, there is one basic meaning, which is grounded in history and the common use of language. That's why it's called historico-grammatical. Now, you don't have to remember that, of course, but just so you, just so you know, it's, it's how we read the Bible, how we understand the Word of God, how we explain it uh, here at this church. And, uh, you know, really, we, we shouldn't have to go over all of this, but since the Bible has been misunderstood and twisted because of faulty hermeneutics, uh, it is necessary to reiterate some of these basic things. Christians can also be influenced by the secular view that the Bible is simply one of many books written by humans over the years. And I'm sure you've heard that from some of your friends who, are, who aren't believers. Oh, the Bible's just one of, you know, one of many, you know, spiritual books and you know you can put it along with the uh, Quran and uh, the Buddhist writings it's, it's the same thing essentially that's what they were saying uh, and, and, and some people subscribe to the view that uh, because the Bible is just one of many books you, you can just uh, you know the, the, the meaning of those verses is up to the individual so you can make it mean what, what you want that's what uh, our society thinks. There are also some Christians who, who, who are, and some preachers and pastors who pick, will pick a single verse out of Scripture, apply their own interpretation to that verse based on what they feel it means. Take this interpretation of Romans 12.2 by a well-known pastor. I'll just read the, the, the quote here. It says, this is uh, this, uh, this view from this passage. He says, When you think positive, excellent thoughts, you will be propelled toward greatness, inevitably bound for increase, promotion, and God's supernatural blessings. The Bible tells us that we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. If you will transform your mind, God will transform your life. So this, this very, very popular preacher currently uh, has this view that if, if you think these positive thoughts, God will make them come true. So you can, you can imagine that you're going to be rich. And you know, if you think those thoughts enough, that, you know, that's that transforming of your mind, he says, and God will transform your life. Okay, that's, that's 
his interpretation of Romans chapter 12, verse 2. By completely ignoring the context of this verse and by using his own subjective understanding, he has managed to twist the Bible to suit his own view. That's just one example of many. I just thought I'd pick one that maybe you've heard about. This kind of misinterpretation can happen in more subtle ways. Uh, I've been to Bible studies where everyone you know, reads a passage of Scripture and then shares what the passage means to them. So, you know, you might, have, you might be in a room with, you know, 10, 12 people, so you get 10 or 12 different meanings of what that Bible verse means to each person based on everyone's own subjective view of that scripture. And of course that's problematic, isn't it? Uh, you know, the Bible doesn't mean 10 different things to 10 different people. It has one basic meaning. Another way to look at the historical grammatical interpretation that is that we are striving to understand what the original author of the text was trying to communicate. And uh, this, is, this is the grammatical part, I guess, of, of this, this, this interpretation. It's the, the same way that we interpret speech and writing in our everyday life. It's, a, it's the same thing. It's, it's very common sense, if you like. And that's why it's, it's funny that we have to go over this again and again but I think it's necessary. When my wife asks me to take out the garbage, I know she means to literally take the rubbish bin and leave it on the curb for the garbage truck, truck to pick up in the morning. Okay, I, I can't have a subjective interpretation of her request, can I? Otherwise, uh, I'll be in trouble. But I have to try and understand what my wife is saying to me. Same thing, if your boss sends you an email at work, that email is to be interpreted in a historical grammatical manner. If you decide to interpret that important work email in an allegorical fashion, in a subjective fashion, and you decide to ignore the author's intention, then you'll probably be fired. So too, when we read the Bible, we should try not to force our own views, our own opinions, our own feelings on the text at hand. So I mentioned um, allegorical interpretation. That's a, another example of bad hermeneutics. And I'm sure you've come across this at some point. Perhaps the most famous instance of allegorical interpretation is Origen's. Now Origen was a, a famous uh, Bible teacher many, many years ago. Um, but his uh, allegorical view of the Bible kind of has lived on, unfortunately. Origen's explanation of the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. In the allegorical view, the, the man who is robbed is Adam. Jerusalem is paradise and Jericho is the world. The priest is the law and the Levites are the prophets. The Samaritan is Christ. The donkey is Christ's physical body which bears the wounds, uh, bears the burden of the wounded man and the wounds are his sins and the inn is the church. The Samaritan's promise, uh, sorry, the Samaritan's promise to return is a promise of the second coming of Christ. So of course that's a very extreme allegorical view but you, you get the picture. The, the problem with some of these views and um, you know that's an extreme example but 
what Origen was saying, he, he, he just applied his own allegoric, his, his own view to that passage. It's something completely different from what the author was trying to, to say in the parable of the Good Samaritan. The problem with Origen's interpretation as well is that there was there was no error in what he was saying. It, you know, the second coming of Christ is true. You know, Christ did, you know, save us and all that. So what he was saying was true. It was just misapplied to that scripture, wasn't it? I think we can see that. The reason why these faulty interpretations are so popular today and have been in the past is that they are easy. Anybody can come up with a fanciful and spurious interpretation which is not based in reality. Anyone can do it. You know, like, like I said, I've been to Bible studies where people go around and say, oh yeah, I think this verse means this to me. The next person says something completely different. It's, it's easy to do. Uh, it takes some imagination, perhaps. Um, and it can also sound quite profound, like uh, what Origen was saying. And there is probably some amount of truth mixed in it as well, which uh, makes it more dangerous. So we have to be careful with our interpretation. Um, and here the author of Hebrews tells his readers that th these things are hard to be uttered, they're, they're difficult to interpret, they take some work to find out what they mean. And so that's the, that's the first problem, is that these people aren't willing to do the work, and so he has to hold back a bit from explaining these things to them here. And so we come to point number three, the, the second reason why the author of Hebrews is holding himself back is because they are dull of hearing. He holds himself back from expounding the doctrine of Melchizedek and his priesthood because his readers are dull of hearing. The Greek word here means to be uh, slothful or sluggish. It is not that they cannot hear but that they do not want to listen. The verb used also implies that they have become dull of hearing over time. They have become dull of hearing. You know, once they were eager to receive the teachings of Christ and to learn more, but now they don't, they don't want to listen. You know, they, they, sure, they, they may come to church, they may, uh, you know, sit there, um, but they don't take it in. They're dull of hearing. And they have regressed in their Christian life. The Hebrew Christians to whom this epistle was written were well, well versed in the Bibles. These weren't people that were ignorant of the Scriptures. Okay, they knew their Bibles inside and out. Uh, they, they were Hebrews, so they, they certainly knew the Old Testament, which was really the only Scriptures that people had at the time. They had been taught by many good teachers for, for many years. You know, these, some of these believers were in Jerusalem. If you, if you read the book of Acts, you know, they had some great teachers there in Jerusalem who were teaching them. But now, a few, a few years later, you know, they, they, they had regressed. They were struggling just to hold on to their faith. Even the most basic of Christian teachings were hard for them. They had become immature, like babies, needing milk instead of solid food. 
And brethren, this is a, this is a warning to us today. This passage is a warning for us. We can regress in the Christian life to the point that we become dull of hearing. We can come to church and none of it sinks in. And what happens is we, we, we can blame the preacher. Oh, that preacher is so boring. Same thing week after week. Or we can blame the hot weather. Oh, it's, 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 it's summertime, so you know, it's, it's hard to listen. Or the stuffy building that we're in, we don't have air conditioning, so you know, it's hard to listen. When really the fault lies within our hearts. So that's something that we need to look at. Now the, the Word of God is like a mirror. And it shows us things that we really don't want to see sometimes, doesn't it? Now if you've been reading the Word of God and you, you, you realise something as you're reading it that it's just a bit hard to take in. But mirrors are like that, aren't they? It reminds me of a story. A man, perhaps middle-aged, was getting ready for work and was looking in the mirror in his, you know, in his ensuite there, in his bathroom, and his wife was in the bedroom and he said, Dear, I, I look terrible today. You know, my hair is grey and thin. I have these big bags under my eyes, wrinkles on my forehead. I have hair growing out of my ears. It's so depressing. Can you tell me something nice to cheer me up? And the wife calls out from the bedroom, Well, your eyesight is excellent. Mirrors tell us the truth about ourselves. In this case, and I'm sure, you know, I can certainly relate to that story. <laughs> In this case, that we are, we are getting old. So mirrors can tell us something about ourselves that we need to understand. And of course, the Word of God is like this. Please turn in your Bibles to the book of James, chapter 1. And I'm sure you were thinking about this passage as I was telling that story. James chapter 1 and verse 19. I'll just read this, uh, a few verses from here. It says, James 1.19 Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. That's a mirror, by the way. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. So we see this principle in James chapter 1. Instead of being dull of hearing, we need to be the opposite of that, which is quick to hear. James 1.19, we need to be quick to hear. That means to take in the teaching of Scripture 
and to put it into practice. And as that passage goes on, it says uh, this, this is being a doer of the word and not just a hearer. A doer of the word, a practitioner, if you like, of the word of God. Those who are dull of hearing are like the man who looks in the mirror and then doesn't do anything about what he sees. And so dull of hearing equals a forgetful hearer. It's the same thing. One who is dull of hearing. Instead of being a forgetful hearer, we are to continually and intently look at the mirror of the Word of God and allow the Word to transform our life so that we are changed into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's really our goal as Christians. Note, this speaks about our own reflection. Okay, when we look at the mirror, who do we see? Ourselves. We don't see someone else's reflection in the mirror. We can be tempted to think that this warning in Hebrews would be great for someone else to hear. Oh, I wish such and such was here to hear this message, to hear this, uh, this warning. But brethren, this is for us. Uh, you know, we can't change other people. You know, we, we may think that this message is not for us, it's for someone else, but you know, we, we can't change that person that we're thinking of, but, but we can change ourselves. We can allow the Word of God to change us. In James we see that we are to receive the Word with meekness. It takes humility to realise that we need to change, doesn't it? It's humbling. If you, if you read the Word of God and you, you see something in you that's a, a big problem in your life, it takes humility to admit that that's, a, that's a, a, a problem that we need to rectify. And brethren, humility is simply a lack of pride. It is the ability to see ourselves realistically. And I think that's why this picture of the Bible as a mirror is excellent because only the Word of God allows us to have a realistic view of who we are. Yet it takes work and effort on our part to do this, which goes back to the second point. It takes study to carefully interpret the word. In James chapter 1, verse 25, the word looketh means to stoop down, uh, to, to bend over, to have a careful look. When we are careless with the word of God, we, we can make mistakes. Just like when we are careless and hurried if we look in the mirror. I know all of us have had this experience. We, we, we're getting ready for work and we're running late. We you know, have a really quick look in the mirror and not really checking properly and discover later on that you've missed the spot shaving or your hair looks really bad today. Um, and that's because you haven't spent much time looking in the mirror. So... When you are in front of the mirror tomorrow morning, shaving or applying your makeup, doing your hair, ask yourself if you have let the Word of God tell you something that you need to hear. Perhaps it's some secret sin that nobody knows about or a bad attitude. A lack of love.
towards someone or someone that we need to ask to forgive us. But if we walk away from the Word of God, if we don't follow through on what the Word is telling us to do, that's when we become dull of hearing. Okay? And, and, and if that becomes a habit in our life, if we continually ignore the Word of God and what it's telling us to do, that is the pathway to spiritual immaturity and the consequences of those choices. But brethren, instead of that, let us have a humble heart uh, with meekness. Receive the Word of God and be doers of the Word and not hearers only. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our time together this morning. And uh, Lord, it's just been a very brief look at uh, this verse here in Hebrews. Uh, Lord, we, we do thank you for these verses that are sometimes uncomfortable for us to hear. And that we, uh, uh, we're challenged to, to have a look at ourselves. But Lord, we, we just do ask that your Holy Spirit would help us in this that he would uh, bring to mind the things that we need to, not just to know, but to put into practice. Lord, help us all here to be uh, doers of the word and not hearers only. Lord, I pray that you, you, you'd touch our hearts, that you'd help us to be soft towards the word, that we wouldn't harden our hearts to what uh, your spirit says. Lord, help us to be... Um, uh, to be meditating upon your word constantly. Not, not just to have a quick look at your word, but Lord, help us to really uh, get into it, to think about it, to understand it, to interpret it correctly. Lord, we thank you for our time together this morning. I pray that you keep us safe this day in Jesus' name. Amen.